It is a very joyous day to be together. It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day here uh, with all of these wonderful faces and people that are gathered with so many wonderful faces and folks that are gathered online, either live or later as well. And we welcome everyone. What a blessing God has given us in calling us to meet together on a regular basis, as Tucker so wonderfully shared, uh, to remember, to remember his death, burial, and resurrection and to remember that he is coming again. And as we partake of that bread and that cup, uh, we very dynamically remember. I'm excited about a series of sermons that I'll be starting next Sunday on the Lord's Supper. Uh, It was the subject of my Doctor of Ministry project thesis at ACU uh, uh, years ago. And uh, throughout April, we'll be looking at uh, the Lord's Supper. I'm excited about sharing that series uh, with you. As we gather together, as uh, Grant shared earlier, it's family day every Sunday here. And some days seem more family than others. And we have a lot of family gathered uh, here today. Some we haven't seen in a while, uh, some brand new babies. Uh, and we're excited about uh, that. Uh, some of those who will be uh, married soon, and we're excited about that. That's a great, uh, great, and wonderful blessing. Uh, Some that are longtime members here that we just haven't seen very much over the last uh, few years, and we're especially thankful for you as well. There are many that are going through so many things, the loss of loved ones, as was shared. Um, uh, Ellen Matthews lost her brother, as Grant shared. Sandra Wilkinson's brother that's been on our prayer list and in hospice care has also recently passed as well. I know Shirley continues to be concerned for her sister who uh, possibly may have to have more uh, procedures done, may have to have a pacemaker, but they'll be uh, checking on that in the days and weeks ahead. So let's uh, take a look at that prayer list and, and remind ourselves of all of those, including the ones uh, that we've just heard about uh, today, our Davy and Sonia and Donnie and Susie who are unable to be with us and our hearts and prayers go out to you and we miss you uh, very much. Uh, that's what being a family is all about, just as our shepherd shared a few moments ago. And the thing that we all have in common is we are sinners. And we have a Savior. And so today we're going to be talking about the Savior, Jesus. The last several weeks we have contrasted the real Jesus with imposter Jesuses. There are lots of imposter Jesuses around there that beckon us, that have just enough truth in them to be appealing and to not turn us off immediately. And yet they're not the real Jesus. And the longer we spend with them and the more we consider what they are calling us to do, what they can do and what they cannot do, we're reminded that it is only the real Jesus who is our Savior. We talked about Jesus, the real Jesus being our Redeemer, accepting us where we are, dying on the cross for our sins, and then calling us to live a faithful life. We spoke about the present Jesus who will not leave us nor forsake or desert us. We spoke about the balanced Jesus who reveals both grace and truth, both mercy and justice. And so we end this series on the real Jesus with this last affirmation. The real Jesus is the Savior, Jesus. 
That is the real Jesus. And he is the only one, the real Jesus is the only one who can do that. He is the only one who can save us. And it's one of the great things that we have in common as God's people. So as we think of all of those that are on our prayer list, as we think of all the exciting things that are going on, we're reminded of what we have in common. I spoke with Tom uh, Clark a little bit ago, and, and he was uh, very thankful for all who have been concerned for him and for Aline. And we're excited about the good news for her. We know that she has a long way to go, and she is far from out of the woods. But being in an assisted living place uh, near uh, there in Richardson is a good thing. And Tom wanted me specifically to express his appreciation for all of those who have contacted him, who have brought food, who have uh, prayed for them, who have been a word of encouragement. And I know that means so much to them as it does to all. It's one of the great blessings about having this commonality that we share the ups and downs of life. And so we rejoice with each other as we rejoice with wonderful weddings, with new babies, with uh, good news throughout our lives, with baptisms, with um, uh, the joy that comes in life. And we also mourn with each other as we mourn the loss of loved ones and other losses that take place in each of our lives. That commonality of all being sinners all being helpless to save ourselves, all looking at a righteous and holy and sinless God, recognizing that we have no right to call him our father. And yet, because of that other thing that we have in common, that Jesus is our savior, then as we look to that king of kings and Lord of lords, that God on the throne, we see our Abba, Father, we see the Savior, Jesus. And so a few things today about that Savior, Jesus, and maybe a couple of things about some imposter Jesuses as well as we close out this series. First of all, the Savior, Jesus, is not the always angry Jesus. (laughs) That is a technical theological term, always angry um, and I, I, you know, I don't understand why Christians get that reputation, but there are some people who have talked to me through the years and have talked to others and said, you know, I, it sounds good, you know, your Christian faith and all, but why is everybody so mad all the time? They just have this scowl on their face. You know, it's like if they smiled, it would crack something. And it shouldn't be that way, should it? I mean, shouldn't we be the most joyful people on the planet? Shouldn't we be the ones who smile the very most? I like what someone said earlier. You know, our kids every once in a while will sing, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say amen, all of those kinds of things. Uh, I, I, I like the verse that says, if you're happy and you know it, tell your face. <laughs> tell your face. For goodness sake, Jesus came and he lived and he died. It's okay to smile about that. Uh, granted, there are a lot of things in our lives that are distressing and And by all means, let's not deny those and let's treat them with the respect uh, that they deserve. But the tomb is empty. I don't know if y'all have heard that or not, but the tomb is actually empty. 
And the blood has been shed and our sins have been washed away. And that's a good thing. And I think when we look at the real Jesus, we do not see the always angry Jesus that some might think. So a little disclaimer before we get further in it. I'm not talking about grace abuse or cheap grace. That term cheap grace is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who actually was a man of faith who lived in a, uh, a, a concentration camp for the Jews during the time of the Nazis in World War II, was actually uh, died there shortly before that camp uh, was rescued. And he wrote this wonderful book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about cheap grace. He says this, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross. And I think it's that cheap grace that Paul says at the beginning of Romans 6 and at the beginning of Romans 12 where he says, I'm not talking about cheap grace. We have a salvation that we could not get ourselves. And so the price was paid for us. And that's a wonderful blessing that we did not earn, cannot deserve, and could not get on our own. But the good news of the gospel is, is that Jesus died and was born and was raised from the dead. And so now there is a response of faith. Now the question that's asked throughout the New Testament, um, what must I do to be saved? There is an answer. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the response would be, there is nothing you can do. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. You're sunk. End of story. But because of Calvary, the Latin version of Golgotha, the, the, the Greek word that means um, uh, the skull, because of that, because Jesus died there, there is an answer. There is something that we can do, and that is the response of faith. Just as some are going to do today, we, we believe in the message that we've heard, that Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the dead. We, we confess that faith for, to others. We repent. We change. We say we're going to take a different path from now on out, and we're going to trust in our Lord that died for us. And then we're baptized into Christ, dying to sin, being buried with him through baptism into death, and being raised to live a new life. That's only possible because Jesus died on the cross. But there is a new life to live. Cheap grace and grace abuse does not acknowledge that, and that's not what I'm talking about today. But that being said, the Savior Jesus is not the always angry Jesus. Think about all of the times in the Gospels where you read about Jesus being angry and you realize not that many and typically over specific things about the religious leaders of the Jews who should have known better and didn't and were carrying a lot of people away from the love and mercy of God and the will of God. Some people aren't looking for grace, they're looking for loopholes, and I understand that. The Savior Jesus took sin so seriously that he died on the cross for it. So we're not talking about cheap grace. We're not talking about a salvation that just lets you live any way you choose. And the Bible is written because that's not true. The New Testament is written to tell Christians how to live faithfully. And all that being said, however... 
The Savior Jesus is not the always angry Jesus. For example, as VeggieTales creator Paul Vish, we've never seen the VeggieTales, I don't know. But as the VeggieTales creator Paul Vischer put it, he said this, if table flipping Jesus is our favorite Jesus, we've lost the plot. <laughs> I love that. I love that. If your go-to verse is that Jesus flipped tables and made whips of cords and chased people out when they were breaking the law of God, if that's the verse you quote most, if that's the Bible story that always comes to your mind, you've lost the plot. (laughs) Yes, that story is in there. Yes, that story is real. But that's just a few stories There's all the rest of the New Testament. There's all the rest of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talk about a joyful Jesus, a a loving Jesus, a happy Jesus, a Jesus who is willing to share and to help. And then that great philosopher, theologian, Pat Sajak, um, loves to talk about the turning letters on the wheel of fortune. He doesn't get to do it, but he talks about it. He said this, Twitter is filled with people who will go to bed enraged tonight and wake up enraged in the morning. (laughs) Kind of sad, really, he says. This was supposed to be fun. If every time you watch the news and get on social media, all it does is either make you angry or afraid, stop doing it. (laughs) Stop doing it, or at least cut back. Because that is not the end of the story. What you see on the news, what you read on the internet, what you see on social media, yes, we need to acknowledge that there is pain and suffering in this world, and you have heard me acknowledge that and say, let's do something about that where we can, and that's exactly right. But that is not the last word. That is not the last word. Certainly not the last word of Jesus. Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, has this quote, Oh God, make the bad people good and the good people nice. (laughs) And amen. Jerry and Lynn Jones, who did a uh, relationship enrichment seminar with us here a few years back, said this over and over again, be kind to each other. That's what they told specifically to husbands and wives, but to all of us. Be kind to each other. Shouldn't the church be known as people who are kind? Yes, people who have strong convictions. Yes, people who hold to the will and word of God. But they're the people that are kind. Even when I disagreed with that Christian, they were kind to me. They were being objective. That's what they would say about Jesus. Would they say that about us? The Savior Jesus is not the always angry Jesus. And then secondly today, the Savior Jesus is not the, quote, post-church Jesus. You say, what in the world is the post-church Jesus, Bill? Well, there is a a phenomenon today that we could call post-church Christianity even. Post-church religion, post-church spirituality. And this is what some might say. They might say, I'll take Jesus, but you can keep your Bible and you can keep your church. 
I'll take Jesus. And what do they want? They want that baby Jesus in the manger that doesn't say anything to them about how they should live their lives. They want that Jesus that sounds real good and that has a positive message and that doesn't affect anything else in their lives. They live how they want, the way they want, and no one tells them what to do. I'll take Jesus, but you can have your Bible and your church. I don't want those things. And there are a couple of problems I have with that. Number one, we need those things. We, sh- we cannot be left on our own to live life in a faithful, fulfilling way. That's the way of the world. That's the only the strong survive. That's the survival of the fittest. That's the carnal, worldly flesh. That's the atheist view. But the second thing about that is that it violates the teaching of Scripture, which we feel is the Word of God. Scripture itself claims that it's the inspired and authoritative Word of God. And we can't get that anywhere else. And this is what the Bible says about Jesus. The Savior Jesus is the same Jesus as the head of the church, Jesus. (laughs) You cannot have one without the other. If you want the Savior Jesus, then the one you're getting is the head of the church Jesus also. They're the same one. They're the same one. Listen to these words from Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, what is that kingdom? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we get that. We're not threatened by that. Jesus is the creator. We understand that. He is the sustainer. We get that. He is the supreme one, king of kings, lord of lords. We get that. Verse 18 of Colossians 1. And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There is nothing in Scripture that says, I'll take Jesus, but I'm not interested in the Bible or the church. That is unbiblical. It is unchristlike. Because Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is his body. You kind of think that it's important to him, don't you? And other scriptures bring that out even stronger. In Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love your wives the way Christ loved what? The church and gave himself for her. Jesus died for the church. In Acts chapter 20, as Paul talks to the elders from the city of Ephesus, elders of a specific congregation just like ours, 
that had specific elders and shepherds just like ours. They were told to feed or shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What Paul told them that day is that Jesus not only died on the cross, and he not only died on the cross for the church, he died on the cross for your church, for the church at Ephesus. And he died on the cross for the church at West Irwin. And that makes it important That makes it significant. That tells the truth that the church is absolutely important and vital to our God in heaven and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So vital, so important, so significant, he died on the cross for the church. There's none of this, I'll take Jesus, but you can take your Bible in your church. I don't want any part of that. You can't find that anywhere in the Word of God. You find exactly the opposite in the Word of God. You can't have one without the other. The church is the saved, just as Jesus is the Savior. Savior Jesus is not the post-church Jesus. Our culture may say that. Circles within our society may say that. But Scripture doesn't, and God doesn't. I'll take the real Jesus. Thirdly, today, the Savior Jesus is the joyful Jesus. The Savior Jesus is the joyful Jesus. Let me tell my friend Donnie Ray Carnathan, thanks, brother, for last week. I appreciate that. Man, I was sick as a dog from last Friday until uh, this past Tuesday. Back in the office on Wednesday at maybe about 75%. Not quite at 100% yet, but there. And so I uh, sent uh, Donnie a a text message on Saturday last week saying, um, (laughs) it may not happen for me tomorrow. Just giving you a little heads up. I plan to feel better, and I plan to be there. (laughs) But, and then I texted him again Saturday night to give him the update, and Sunday morning and said, yeah, it's not happening for me, brother. Good luck. God bless. (laughs) And I was going to watch it online at 10 live, and I unfortunately was asleep in my recliner. (laughs) Was ready to go, but had the communion cups right there, but it it was not happening. And what a blessing to be able to have someone like that and so many others that I could call at the last minute. What a blessing to not have to do damage control when I come back after somebody was a guest speaker. (laughs) That is not true everywhere, but it is true here and is a great blessing. The Savior Jesus is the joyful Jesus. I was going to speak about the Savior Jesus last Sunday and in this series with the joyful Jesus today. So here are some of the things that I was going to say. There are some who might feel it sacrilegious to say that Jesus was joyful. Can you imagine? Or that Christians should smile, be happy. Not necessarily happy the way the world sees happiness, but Jesus was not unhappy either. His happiness and his joy came from deep within where ours should come from. Would it be less blasphemous to say that Jesus was always sad or cynical or pessimistic or negative? Where did we get that imposter Jesus? 
Certainly not from Scripture. Several Scriptures on your outline say things like this. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, continued on his ministry and taught and said things. Or rejoice in that day and leap for joy, Jesus said in Luke 6. Another time, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Those apostles experienced a joyful Jesus for those years that he was with them. And what Jesus says there is, I want you to have that same joy that you've seen in me. Your grief will turn to joy, he told them, and no one will take away your joy. You know who the only person is that can take away your joy? You. Satan can't do it. He wants to, and he tries, and he's good at it. But he can't take away anything from me that I don't want to give him. And I don't want to give him my joy. Again, I don't want to deny the difficulties in the world, the difficulties in this community, in this country, in Europe. We don't have to deny any of those things. But we also don't have to let them take away our joy. Because our joy doesn't come from the fact that everything is hunky-dory here in this world. Our joy comes from knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and was buried and was raised from the dead. And so Jesus prays in John 17 that we may have the full measure of his joy within us. His first miracle, as you know, in Cana of Galilee was at a wedding reception. It was at a party. The shepherd, when he found his lost sheep, the woman, when she found her lost coin, the father, when he found his lost son, threw a party. They were happy. They rejoiced. And the angels in heaven rejoiced. Matthew threw Jesus a dinner party. Zacchaeus threw Jesus a dinner party. Those healed, you couldn't shut them up. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And they immediately left him and told everybody. (laughs) Why? Joy. Joy. That no one could take away. But how could Jesus be joyful knowing all along what he had been born to go through? It was actually this very joy that enabled the Savior Jesus to give his life for us. You see, Jesus' joy empowered him to carry out the Father's will and empowers us to do the same. And you know what this passage in Hebrews 12 says, right? I, my thinking is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 or so belong in chapter 11, the honor roll of faith. Because Jesus is the last one mentioned, I think. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you think Jesus took the cross seriously? We know he did. Why? What did he pray the night before he was killed? If possible, don't let me have to go through this. And yet it was for the joy set before him that he could. And that he did. Why? Because even the cross could not take away Jesus' joy. Rather, it empowered him. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, tells us 
that when we face persecution and when we face difficulties and when we face trouble, even then we face them with joy. Count it all joy when bad things happen to you because you know God will bring good from it. And so this question, would someone who knows you well describe you as being joyful? How brave do you feel today? Do you want to ask someone that who knows you well? Would you describe me overall as being joyful? (laughs) If we know the Savior Jesus, how can we not be joyful? Again, not happy in the way the world sees it. Not happy in the way that we deny difficult situations in this life. Some that we're going through right now. Job was blessed because he acknowledged those things without completely giving up his faith. Came close. And so James says, look, all the persecutions and difficulties in this world, they can't take away your joy. How does he know that? They didn't take away his brother's joy. And he remembered that. Even though he wasn't a believer until I think he saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that he did. Didn't take away his joy. The joyful Jesus is the real Jesus. So as we conclude this series today, let's say this. Only the Savior Jesus is the real Jesus. And he is the source of our joy. If you're looking for salvation from anyone else, they're imposter Jesuses. Because only the real Jesus is the Savior Jesus. And if you're looking for joy anywhere else, wherever it might be, anything that has to do with this world or your life or your situation or your church, all of those things kind of do this. They're good times and bad. They ebb and they flow. But one thing is constant. One thing that will never leave us or desert us. And that is the real Jesus. And the joy that the real Jesus gives us, no one, nothing can take away. There is a fountain free and it's for you and me. Don't settle for anything less than the real Jesus. Will you come Will you come to the fountain free? Come as we stand and sing our song together.